Appreciate Brother Tim's message this morning. Uh, getting those bees in the right order is extremely important. Uh, once you ever get that down pat, then just things begin to unfold and unlock and uh, just, uh, just things that you didn't see before you start to see. And the eighth chapter of the book of Acts certainly presents that to us. Uh, I want to begin this morning, 2 Timothy uh, 3, 14 and 15. Paul writing to a, a minister by the name of Timothy, who was somewhat younger than Paul. Paul will write two letters to Timothy and one to Titus. And here in 2 Timothy 3, 14, he says to Timothy, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. For thou hast known the holy scriptures, or thou hast known from a child the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Now, Paul tells Timothy to continue. The Bible teaches us to continue in a number of things. To continue in something, obviously you have to have a start or a beginning, right? If it's a good thing, then we need to continue to go with it. The Lord said in John 8, 31, he said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. To be a disciple of Christ, we must continue in his word. To continue in his word, we must have a beginning in his word, we must have a start in his word. We must read and study the word. So if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He then says in John 15, 9, as the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Therefore, continue ye in my love. Now, notice he didn't just say continue in love. He says continue in my love. Continue the sacrificial love that you've seen in me. Continue in loving others as I have loved you, in other words. Now, as the Father hath loved me, and I have loved you, continue ye in my love. Hebrews 13, 1. He says, Brother, Continue ye in brotherly love. Brotherly love is a wonderful love, isn't it? It's a special love. A love that we ought to have for one another. He says, continue therefore in brotherly love. Now, we are told in Colossians 4.2 that we're to continue in prayer. Uh, these exhortations to continue indicates to me that there can be an interruption. There can be a stoppage if we're not careful. So we have to make a major effort to continue in the Word. We have to make a major effort to continue in love. We have to make a major effort to continue in prayer. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas had been preaching in this area, and after they got through preaching, there was a wonderful response to them. And as they came to Paul and them on the next Sabbath day, the Bible says that they persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. That means they would continue to study about the grace of God, to contend for the grace of God. In contrast to the Judaizers, it was always opposing Paul and others in their labors, still trying to maintain that people had to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. They were always adding something. They were always had a work system. And Paul and them was preaching the freedom and liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ, so he exhorted them to continue in the grace of God. In Acts 26, 22, Paul says, Having obtained help of God, I continue to this day, witnessing the small and great 
only speaking those things which Moses had spoken that should come to pass. The Apostle Paul didn't add things to Moses' writings. He didn't add things to the Old Testament. He spoke only those things which had been prophesied, which had been declared to come to pass. And he says, continuing to this day, how? By the help of God. That's why I'm here today. Having obtained help of God is why I'm here today. Having obtained help of God is why you're here today. And so he goes on to say, though, witnessing to small and great. Paul believed in witnessing. He believed in testifying. He believed in, um, you know, spreading the news. And this is a good friend of mine down in southeast Georgia. He's, he's, he's one of the most energetic, zealous people I know. We was in a meeting one time, and he was talking to me and Karen. He says, now, he says, I'm not called to preach. He said, but i tell you what I can do. He says, I can testify. <laughs> and he's got a southern drawl. <laughs> he said, I can testify. And yes, you can testify. And you can witness. And the best way to do that is by living a godly life. Let your light so shine before me, and they might see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. And sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And those who ask you for reason to hope, you'll be ready on those occasions to give an answer to those who approach you in this manner, you see. So here are some of the things that we're to continue in that's very, very important. So here he tells Timothy to continue in the things which thou hast learned, knowing of whom you have learned them and have been assured of. Now, I was thinking this morning about some of the mothers in the Bible. And I thought about Timothy's mother and Timothy's grandmother. You know, every great building, every, this building here is only strong as the foundation of which this building rests on, right? When you're going to start building something, it's important that you get the foundation right. Be sure it's the right size. Be sure it's the right strength. I mean, do everything because it's going to hold up everything that's built upon it. And so it is in our home. Psalms 127, verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So what kind of house did Timothy have of where he learned? Well, in the first chapter of this Second Timothy, in verse 5, you're going to find where Paul says, When I call to remembrance your unfeigned faith, talking to Timothy, that was first in thy grandmother Lois, and then in thy mother Eunice, and I persuaded also in you. The word feign means artificial. It means fake. B says, the faith that I see in you, Timothy, is the same faith I saw in your grandmother Lois, the same faith I saw in your mother Eunice, or Eunice. Now, that word unfeigned means genuine. It means, you know, sincerity, without hypocrisy, in contrast to that which is fake and artificial. See, there is a feigned faith. There is an artificial faith. There is a a faith that's artificial and hypocritical. But that's not the kind of faith he saw in Timothy. He saw an unfeigned faith in Timothy. It was first in his grandmother and then in his mother. That's how he knew some of these things. Verse 15, once again, And from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Now, you go over here to the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 1. You find a place called Lystra and Derby. These are two cities uh, in a region that was called Lyconia. And Paul's labors led him into that area. And this is where Lois and Eunice and Timothy lived along with Timothy's father. And this is the only reference to Timothy's father. And by the way, there's many grandmothers listed in the Word of God, but the word grandmother is only used one time. And it's right here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. It has reference to Timothy's grandmother, Lois. You know, uh, if you've got a, a grandmother, you're highly blessed. 
my grandmother on my father's side and my grandmother on my mother's side were dead before I was old enough to ever know them. So I never had a grandfather or a grandmother that I have any memory of. And, and we have, the Lord's blessed Karen and I with 11 grandchildren, and I want them to have some wonderful memories of their grandmother and grandfather because I don't have any. And my father's father died on the day he was born. The very day my dad was born, his father died. So he has it even worse. He has no memories of his biological father. Well, Timothy had a wonderful mother in Eunice, and a wonderful grandmother in Eunice, and his mother Lois married a Greek, which is a Gentile. His name's not given us. And this is all I said about him. And so I know all this training that Timothy got came from his mother and from his grandmother. And said Timothy had a good report of the brethren in those areas. So he was old enough to already live long enough that people were talking about Timothy. Now his mother and grandmother could not have put faith within his heart. That's only God can do that. And he does do that to every heir of promise, every elect child of grace, sometime between their conception and death, God borns of the Spirit of God and puts that principle of faith within their hearts. But that faith needs to be cultivated. That faith needs to increase. That faith needs to grow. It needs to be nurtured, you see. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, it opens up in verse 1 by saying, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So I address this to the children here this morning. But in verse 4, it says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, there's no evidence that Timothy's father did this, but there's a lot of evidence that his mother did it and his grandmother. Bring up your children in the nurture. That word nurture means to tutor. It means to educate, and it means to discipline. Bring up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The word admonition means to rebuke and to warn. As your children are growing up, you are to warn them. You're to rebuke them. You're to teach them the difference between right and wrong and which is good and which is bad. We, we live in a bad world. We live in an evil world. There's a lot in this world today that's so contrary to the Word of God. This world system in which we're living here is in total opposition to God. And if you're not careful, you, you cannot afford to let your, your children be indoctrinated with so many things that they are facing in school today. Your children are facing many things contrary to what you faced when you were growing up in school and are being taught things contrary to God's Word. You better take the time at home to counteract that. Bring up your children in the nurture, in the tutelage, in the education of the Lord and discipline them in the proper way. Now he tells you how not to do it. He says, fathers, uh, you know, provoke not your children to wrath. I've seen parents... Uh, in an act of so-called discipline, it really bordered on abuse. And that's not the way to do it. Proverbs 22, 6, Solomon said, Train up a child the way he should go. When he's old, he shall not depart from it. I've had people tell me, Brother Lawrence, I don't know what happened to little Johnny or little Mary or whatever. Uh, we brought them to church. We, we'd done the best we could. And now they got grown. They've just gone astray. Well, there's two things about that. First of all, the text says train up a child, not raise a child, but train up a child in the way it should go. That requires a lot of effort, a lot of work, a lot of discipline. And some parents are not willing to do that. Some parents are just, it's too much trouble. They're just willing to let the television, the computer, the iPad, and everything else take the place of what a parent ought to be. I'm telling you the truth. I see it all the time. 
has become a built-in babysitter, all these things. That word train, train. I chop a child in which way she goes. And when he's old, so that gives you hope that still down the road they may come back and may return, you see. Now I believe uh, it must have thrilled the heart of Eunice and Lois to see that son and grandson take on the things that he was being taught. And not only did they teach him these things, but the Apostle Paul comes along and teaches him these things. That's why he calls Timothy a son. He, he calls me a son at least four or five different times uh, in the scriptures. In 1 Timothy 1, 2, he says, To my son, my only son in the faith. Now, Paul was never married. Paul never had any children. He was not a biological father. But he was a father to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1, 2, he says, To my beloved son, Timothy. In the second chapter of Philippians, he sends Timothy to the church at Philippi, saying, I have no other man to send unto you who would care for you except for Timothy here. And he says, and you well know how he has served with me in the gospel as a son. He referred to Timothy as a son in Philippians, as a son in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 4.17. How he said, my son Timothy, I will send him and he shall make you aware of the affairs that I uh, have in teaching uh, and, and preaching these same things in every church, everywhere. What Paul taught in one church, he taught in another church. He never did change it around, you see. He taught the truth wherever he was at. So Paul says, Timothy, continue in the things which thou hast learned. You've learned some things, Timothy, from your mother, Eunice. You've learned some things, Timothy, from your grandmother, Lois. See, grandmothers, just because they come to grandmothers, that don't mean they... Escape responsibility and doing a little teaching. <laughs> you may think you failed in the beginning, but you got a second opportunity coming along here. So, you know, of course, I know grandparents, you know, they feel like they just have the right to spoil the children a little bit. A little bit's okay, a whole lot's not, okay? <laughs> that just makes things tough when the kids go back home. <laughs> when grandmommy let me set up past 10 o'clock, well, you're back home now. <laughs> Grandmommy, let me, let me have that extra cookie. Well, you're back home now. Grandmommy, let me have that piece of candy. Well, uh, no candy here. You see, you kind of make it tough on the mother and the father if you spoil them too much. <laughs> but we get by with it a little bit. Anyway, his mother Lois, uh, grandmother Lois, and that word Lois there, her name, means agreeable. I can just see that being in her nature, how, how agreeable and desirable. Agreeable and desirable is what her name meant. And the name of Eunice, it meant to conquer well. And she lived up to her name. I believe that she conquered, uh, you know, the act of, of being a mother and teaching Timothy the things he needed to be taught. Now, his mother and grandmother were both Jewish. And he had known the Holy Scriptures from his youth, which means they'd done a good job of teaching Timothy the Old Testament Scriptures because when they taught Timothy, the New Testament had not yet been recorded. So they taught him the Old Testament Scriptures very, very adequately in much detail. No question about that. They wouldn't be in there if it was not. So it says, Timothy, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned from your mother, from your grandmother, and from me. See, when you go to Acts 16, Acts 15 closes with Paul and uh, uh, Mark, uh, excuse me, Paul and Silas being together. Paul was with Mark, but Mark had departed from Paul for a while, and Paul didn't like that. 
And Barnabas tried to kind of smooth things over, but there was a sharp contention between them. So we find where Barnabas takes Mark and goes this way, and Paul takes Silas and goes that way. But they, Paul and Silas go into Derby here in Lystra, and that's where he gets acquainted with Timothy and his mother and grandmother. And Timothy already had a good report, so now he enlists Timothy to be his number one companion in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful relationship. What a wonderful connection we have here. Some of the things that Paul told Timothy. See, First and Second Timothy and Titus is the minister's manual. It's, it's my, my preacher's manual. I, I need to read First and Second Timothy and Titus on a pretty regular basis to remind me of some things. Like in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul tells Timothy to stir up the gift that is in thee. A minister has a gift that God has given unto him, and he can let it get stale if he's not careful. Uh, you know, uh, I, I was preaching down in Alabama the other day, and I was preaching at a church I hadn't been to in several years, and a sister came up to me, and she said, I can see you still studying. Well, she couldn't give me a better uh, source of encouragement. I'm glad she could tell that. I don't want my gift, whatever my gift is, I do not want it to get stale. I want to stir it up. I want to keep it stirred up. And you can help me keep it stirred up by your questions and by your encouragement and your prayers and everything else, my friends. You can help me keep it stirred up. <laughs> and Paul tells Timothy to neglect not the gift that is in thee. You can neglect the gift that God has given you. Whether it be a minister or somebody else, whatever gift you've got, if you're not careful, you can neglect that gift. Don't do that. Don't neglect that gift. Paul tells Timothy this in 1 Timothy 4.15, and he tells him, Neglect not the gift that is in thee. He says, But until I come again, give a chance to read into exhortation. He says, And continue in these things, that thy profit may appear unto all. A minister's profit needs to be apparent. Now, a profit may appear unto all, and continue in them, uh, in, in these things, and taking heed unto the doctrine thyself, when doing so, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And I want to use that again, Lord willing, a little bit down the road. And then he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a work that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is the word of truth. There's no contradictions, there's no error in this book right here, but it has to be studied to rightly divide it. To put scripture with scripture, because if you don't, it would appear to contradict. But if it appears, you just hadn't got at least one of those right. That's all I can say to you. So the minister's job is to study that Bible, just like where Tim was in uh, Acts chapter 8. We find the eunuch reading in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, and the Lord, uh, by the Spirit of God, connects Philip back up with the eunuch. And the eunuch uh, is asked a question by Philip, understandest what thou read? He says, how can I except some man guide me? But at least you find the eunuch trying. He's in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. As Brother Tim's already said, he'd been down the worship on the way back. He's so stirred up. He's still studying. He's still reading the, the Bible, the 53rd chapter. I got a feeling that's where uh, the uh, person down in the synagogue in Jerusalem had read from that day. And so it says, taking the same text, same place there, he preached Christ unto him. He preached Christ to show him that the man Isaiah was talking about was not himself, Isaiah. He was talking about somebody else, which was Jesus Christ. So you study shows yourself approved, Timothy. And then in 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, Paul tells Timothy, he says, My beloved son, continue in those things. Oh, my beloved son, be strong in the grace which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Be strong in your understanding of the grace of God. Be strong in your declaration of the grace of God. God's ministers need to be bold in their presentation. They need to be confident in their presentation. I don't want to listen to a preacher that's up here halfway apologizing for everything and, uh, you know, I think this, maybe this one thing or another. I, I want him to persuade me he believes what he's preaching whether I believe him or not. I want people to believe that I believe what I believe. That's the way I want to come across. <laughs> you may not understand it. You may, I'm not sure about that, but at least I want you to believe that I believe what I believe what I'm preaching. So be strong in the grace, Timothy. Be strong in your understanding of it. You study, show yourself approved, Timothy. A workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then he says this. It's very important. Two things I want to bring out here. He said, the things which thou hast heard of me, Paul telling Timothy, among many witnesses, the same, this is the key word, S-A-M-E, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. I want you to see the chain here. Christ teaches Paul. Paul teaches Timothy. Timothy commits these things to faithful men who teach others also. That's a ministerial succession. Primitive Baptists do not have a seminary. I've never been to a seminary. I've never been to a Bible college. I've never taken a Bible course. I have been to God's seminary. Okay, uh, hopefully, just like Moses had an education in Egypt for 40 years, done him no good. But his second 40 years of education back south of the desert with the Lord done him a lot of good. We believe in an educated ministry. We believe in a studied ministry. Paul says, Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman. Now, I get kidded all the time. I don't mind it. Brother Ron, you just work one day a week. <laughs> Brother Brian Cook likes to kid me about that. Yeah. Uh, you, you just work one day a week. <laughs> well, um, I have to beg to differ on that one. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I, I've been a while since I told this. Somebody probably hadn't heard it, but I took Mark with me on a preaching trip when he was about six, seven years old in Georgia. And while we was there staying with somebody after church up morning, had church, had lunch, and hanging around, you know, fellowshipping one thing or another, uh, the man in the house said, Mark says, what's your daddy do? He says, nothing. I said, we got to have a talk going home. <laughs> if you expect to go with me on another trip, I'll tell you that. <laughs> a workman, if any man desire the office of bishop, 1 Timothy 3, 1, if any man desire the office of bishop, he desires a good work. So here's things he's telling Timothy. The same thou commit to faithful men. What kind of men? Faithful men. Not unfaithful men, but faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Now, primitive Baptists don't have Sunday schools either. That does not believe we don't think it's important to teach our children. I've already given you Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 4. I've already given you Proverbs 22 in verse 6. But here's God's way. Timothy was taught by his faithful mother, Eunice, who was taught by her faithful mother, Lois. Lois taught Eunice, Eunice taught Timothy. I'm sure Lois also taught Timothy some things. And Paul teaches Timothy, Timothy never went to a seminary. 
but he was a highly educated evangelist. Paul told him to do the work of an evangelist. Timothy was a very faithful laborer in the house of God. Sunday school started in 1781. Historically speaking, a man by the name of Robert Rakes in England saw children who were not getting a proper education in the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And so he would meet early before church started. And he'd gather those two children together and he'd meet with them and he would try to help them get an education separate apart from the Word of God. But it's from this that the uh, present day Sunday school system developed and what they have in the world today. You know, if people want to have a Sunday school, that's fine with me. If they want to have that, I'm telling you why we don't. But that does not relieve us the responsibility as parents to bring up our children, nurture and admonition of the Lord. Part of that is training at home. The other part is making sure you bring them faithfully to the house of God to sit there with you. They have to be trained in church just like to be trained everywhere else. You know, and children are going to be children. They make a little noise. That's okay. You keep training them. You'll, you'll get them out of all that. I want, them, I want them in the house of God. I want them right here in the sound of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When it comes time for God to quicken them and make them alive in the Lord and Jesus Christ, they'll have a receiving set where they, they might not be able to understand everything about the doctrines of grace in one thing and another, but their heart will be tender to where they can feel and receive the blessings, my friends, of the gospel of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel very strongly about that. That's why we have, have these. I've been giving to you now for about three years. Well, whether you're taking advantage or not, I, I, don't, I don't know for sure. I hope that you are. But that's why they're being written right here because we love our young folks. We appreciate our young folks. We want to see our young folks stick and we want to see them stay. We want to see them grow up in the house of God and get rooted and grounded in the doctrines of grace and see the beauty and simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his gospel church and kingdom here in this world and follow in the footsteps of those who've gone before them and become wonderful members of the household of faith. Timothy. You see the foundation Timothy had? You see the home Timothy had? You see the influence of a godly mother and godly grandmother that Timothy had? He says, Timothy, continue thou in those things that thou hast learned, and been assured of, knowing whom thou hast learned them, Lois, Eunice, Paul, from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Why are they called the Holy Scriptures? Well, because the Holy God had them inspired. In Revelation 4 and 8, you got the four beasts, and they cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, one holy for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. 2 Peter 1.21, the Apostle Peter says that holy men of old wrote these things down as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. you got the Holy God, the holy men, and the Holy Ghost. That's why they're called the Holy Scriptures. And the Holy Scriptures call upon God's people to live a holy life. 1 Peter 1.15, he said, Be ye holy, even as he which has called you is holy. And they give us firm and clear instructions how to do just that. So they call the Holy Scriptures. Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures from a child. From a child. I don't know what age that was. But I'm telling you one thing. Lois and Eunice have been talking to him a lot about the Old Testament Scriptures. That's very clear and very apparent. And you've known them, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. There's a number of ways that we gain wisdom in this world. James 1 and 5 says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth all men liberally, and upbraideth not. That's, you ought to be asking in prayer every single day for wisdom. 
But another way of gaining wisdom is by studying God's Word. They're able to make you wise unto salvation. Salvation means deliverance. Salvation is one of the most important words contained in the Scripture. It means a deliverance from something to something, so I'm kind of interested in that. I want to be delivered, don't you? If you're not delivered, that means you're in captivity, you're in bondage, or, or maybe you may even wind up being destroyed. So I want to know how I can be delivered. But as you study that word, saved, saved, or salvation, sometimes it has reference to eternal things, sometimes it has reference to timely or temporal things. And this is one of the most important things in studying the scriptures to understand what I just said. I can tell you a number of people that I've met and known over the years who became converted to the doctrine of grace. And one of the things that unlocked things for them, like a key that just unlocked things for them, when they finally come to the realization that every time they read the word say, didn't have reference from hell to heaven. There were a lot of timely deliverances. Let me give you a contrast. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, For by grace are you saved, saved through faith, that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. The grace and the faith is not of yourselves, neither one is of yourselves. It's not of works. You can't be plainer than that. It's not based upon yourself, not based upon works. 2 Timothy 1, 9, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Very clear, it's not of works. Titus 3, 5, not by works of rights, which we've done. But according to his mercy, he hath saved us with the washing regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. On how much plainer it could be. In the book of Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and apparently is extremely well blessed. When he gets through preaching, there's a great cry of people there. It says, the many as were pricked in the heart, cried out. Notice this, these people that cried out were pricked in their heart. A heart of stone cannot be pricked. A heart of stone, in other words, that's an illustration of the Bible of an unregenerated heart. But a regenerated heart is exemplified by the flesh. They were pricked in the flesh, a regenerated heart. So as many as heard them, they cried out, saying, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And the apostle Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And with many other words did he exhort them, saying to them, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. That word untoward means perverse generation. They had a lot of Judaizers around there, still trying to bring them back under Moses' law. He says, Save yourselves. Now, I just read to you in Ephesians 2, 8, where he says it's not of yourselves. For by grace he is saved through faith that not of yourselves. Here Peter says, save yourselves. Is that a contradiction? No, it's not. You've got to study the context. Every time you see that word, you study the context. See what you're being saved from and what you're being saved to. Now, when Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Remember the name Jesus means Savior, and Christ means anointing. He said, repent and be baptized in the name of the Savior that was anointed to put away your sins, and when you do that, you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And with many other words did he exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. In Matthew chapter 8, you're going to find where Peter and the disciples are in a ship in a great storm. And Christ is asleep. And the disciples come and wake him up, and here's what they say. And they say, save us or we perish. What, what, what do they want to be saved from? They want to be saved from drowning. 
They want to be saved from dying on that day. They had a fear of dying, of drowning on that occasion, and they're asking the Lord to deliver them from that. In Matthew 14, in the second storm, where the disciples in the ship, Christ comes walking in the water, and the apostle Peter said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come. He says, come. And you find where Peter walked on the water until he looked his eyes off Christ. He began to sing. He cried out, Lord, save me. That will be clear to anybody that Peter wasn't thinking about heaven right there. He was thinking about being saved from drowning. Lord, save me. And the Lord Jesus Christ answered that prayer, took hold of Peter, and delivered him from drowning in that water. First, here's one a lot of times people don't think about. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Paul tells Timothy, For Adam was first formed, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Nevertheless, in childbearing, she shall be saved if they, that is the children she brings forth in childbearing, if she shall be saved, if they continue in faith and holiness and sobriety. See, children, when they're born in this world, when they're growing up, they step on your toes. But when they get grown, sometimes they step on your heart. But that's okay. Because if you are blessed to reach an old age, you're going to need them down the road. <laughs> you're going to need them to take care of you down the road. But nevertheless, that's the truth. Any parent here has raised children, they've gotten grown, know exactly what I said to be true. But she says, she shall be saved if they, the children, continue in these things. She'll experience a deliverance if her children down through the years continue in being sober and sobriety and all these different things right there. If they continue the way she's raised them and trained them, then she'll experience a deliverance in her own life, you see. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Peter says, Wherefore in the days... When the long-suffering God was in the days of Noah, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Water saved eight people that day. How did water save them? You say, Brother Lawrence, the ark saved them from the water, didn't it? It did. But the water saved them. If you look in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, the apostle Peter says that God saved Noah, the eighth person, by bringing a flood of water upon the ungodly. Noah was saved and his family from the ungodly world in which he was living in that day and water drowned all of them and delivered Noah them from them. He says, wherefore even baptism doth now save us. Not putting away the filth of the flesh, but answering a good conscience toward God. There is a now salvation. Now means present. There's a not now, N-O-W, now salvation associated with baptism. My personal experience teaches me that. 52 years or more ago, somewhere around there, I was baptized. And I experienced something in that baptism that was wonderful. I had a desire to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to express to the church my love for the Savior. And I wanted to follow him. I believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, the, and, and my pastor at that time took me down into that lake and he put me down beneath that cold water on a cold February morning and raised me up. And I'm telling you, I thought right then for just a few seconds the world was perfect. <laughs> just a few seconds. 
It didn't take me long to, to get back to the world of reality. <laughs> you know, every once in a while, the Lord blesses us here. We have a wonderful meeting. The Spirit of the Lord is present. And I feel liberty in preaching. I can see you feel liberty in, in hearing just for a few minutes. You know, I forget about all the problems of this world. I forget about all the difficulties. I forget about all the, the struggles and all the war and all the sickness and all the problems that exist in this life here. For a few minutes, I forget that and think, I'm just about in heaven now. But unfortunately, Monday morning rolls around. And I'm right back in the world <laughs> of reality. See, these are timely deliverances. I want to be wise unto salvation. The scriptures will help me be wise unto salvation to be able to separate the eternal from the timely. Romans 5, 9, Paul says, Therefore, being justified by blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That's eternal. You're saved from the wrath to come through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the next verse, verse 10 says, And wherefore, when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We shall also be saved by his life. That's eternal. By the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be recon we're reconciled. He saved us from being unreconciled to being reconciled to the Father to go to be with God in glory one day. And by his shed blood, he's justified us and saved us from the wrath to come. That's eternal. In Luke chapter 7, verse 50, you're going to find where a sinner woman came to the Lord Jesus Christ and she began to weep. And she wept and shed many tears and wiped the feet of the Savior, dry with the hair of her head. And I won't go into the story, the details of the story. All I want is the last part here. The Lord said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. And she, she told her, Thy faith has saved thee. Now, hadn't I already told you that Ephesians 2 8 said, It's not of yourselves? But here the Lord says, thy faith has saved thee. What did her faith save her from? Her faith saved her from the condemnation that she had by her sinful life when Jesus said, thy sins have been forgiven thee. When you feel the need to confess your sins to the Savior, and you feel like the Lord has heard your words and heard your prayer and put his arm around you and spoke to your heart and spoke to your soul and say, you're forgiven, that brings a deliverance in your heart. You're saved right then by the faith that you expressed. You see that? I want you to see that. In the book of Acts chapter 27, you find where Paul's on a ship in a tremendous storm. And three times in this chapter, you're going to find the word saved used. You're going to find where Paul's in that ship. And the Bible says the storm was so great that the light of the sun, the moon, the stars hadn't been seen for days. And all hope of being saved was gone. What kind of saving was unconsideration? All hope of being delivered off that ship, out of that water, and land one more time. It was all gone. There was an attempt by some of the soldiers to cut some small boats off and get in those boats and leave. And this came after God had revealed unto Paul that every man's life on that ship was going to be spared, but the ship be destroyed. You know what Paul told the centurion? He said, except these soldiers abide in the ship, they cannot be saved. They'll die. They'll perish. They'll drown. They want to be saved, but stay in the ship. And then after that ship is broken to smithereens, and they're trying to get to land, the Bible says it was the counsel of the soldiers to kill all the prisoners, but the centurion, willing to save Paul, told them, some of you swim, some of you get on boards, and some of you hang on to other parts of the ship, and the Bible says they all made it safe to shore. 
That centurion was, his effort, in other words, his plan was to save Paul from being killed. Now, I'm just giving you a little sample this morning of the contrast between the word saved, when the word saved and salvation is used, between when it's eternal and when it's timely or temporal. The context will tell you. The context will reveal it to you. There's many more examples that can be given. But when you're wise unto salvation, that means you now have the wisdom to distinguish between the two. You now have the wisdom to understand there's a difference. That every time the word saved is used, it does not have reference to eternal consequences. One quick thing here. In the book of Romans, in chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is they might be saved. For I bear them record they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. What kind of salvation is that? When it addresses them as brethren, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is they, brethren, might be saved. I bear them record they got a zeal of God. Their zeal came from God. That tells me they're born again children of God. Born of God. And they being ignorant of God's righteousness, trying to go about and establish their own righteousness. That's what he wants to be saved from, is from their ignorance. He wants them to understand and see that salvation is of the Lord. It's not according to keeping the law or the works of the law. And to make things really, really kind of interesting. Romans 9, 33, the Apostle Paul said, except the Lord had left us a seed, we'd be like Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, but nevertheless, a remnant shall be saved. In Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Paul says, for, the, for as it is written, the deliverer shall come forth out of Zion and shall put away ungodly from Jacob, for all Israel shall be saved. Now, look at those three statements. Chapter 9 says a remnant shall be saved. Chapter 10 says they might be saved. And chapter 11 says they all shall be saved. You say, that sounds confusing, brother. <laughs> it's not when you study the context of all of them. You see how all three of them are true when you study what's under consideration and what the context is. That's what separates truth from error. Being wise unto salvation. Let me recap here in closing. Timothy, continue the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Oh, he, had a, he, he was a blessed individual. He was a blessed young man. To have such a godly mother, such a godly grandmother, and then have such a godly man as Paul, who took him under his wing and called him his own son in the ministry. That, that's how we do it in the old Baptist church. When Brother Graham was coming along, I took him under my wing. <laughs> we had many conversations. I tried to teach him a lot of things, how to study the Bible, uh, the principles of studying the Bible, et cetera, et cetera, and, and other things I could share with you. When he got through speaking, I would, uh, I would talk to him about it. And I would, uh, if he needed to change the word, I told him he needed to change the word. Why do you need to change the word? Don't use that word. Use this word. One thing or another. I'm doing the same thing with Brother Tim. After church today, he and I will talk about what he spoke on. And I'll, uh, if I think he said a word he shouldn't have said or he should have used another word, I'll tell him so. But I try to encourage them. And anyway, I became Brother Graham's father in the ministry. I was Brother John Harrison's father in the ministry. I had a father in the ministry. When I come along, he had a third grade education. I had a college education, but he was my father in the ministry. He taught me things my college degree never taught me. 
He taught me things that only a man of keen wisdom could have ever seen and ever known and taught me things that I couldn't have learned anywhere else. I'll cherish the hours I spent with that man. I'll cherish, he, he baptized me. He baptized Karen. He, he, he married us. He officiated out my first time I ever tried. Uh, I mean, he was with me the first time I ever tried to officiate a communion supper. I mean, he was there with me for all my first along the journey. And he lived in a little modest house, a little white modest house. And his whole library was three books. The Bible, dictionary, and a concordance. That was what his library was as far as printing material. But his study was the whole world. That's what I've tried to make mine. My study, I got to study at the house. I use about 10% of the books I got in that study. That's about what you wind up using. You've got a library, you wind up using about 10% of them. But my, my study is life. My study goes far beyond the four walls of my study at home. I try to study the Word of God. Been making an effort to do that for getting on close to 50 years here now. If I don't know a little bit about it by now, I might as well throw my hands up and quit, I reckon. But nevertheless, um, I want to continue the things in which I have learned. I want to become wise unto salvation. I want you to be wise unto salvation. I want you to be able to separate and distinguish the different phases of God's grace and salvation that's here in the Word of God. And then remember verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, that the man of God might be perfect, duly furnished unto all good works.